As I mentioned earlier, we're concluding our study of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 this morning. And I hope that at the end of this study, we can all agree that money matters. And there's just, there's no way to get around it. There's nothing uh, unspiritual about us to talk about money. Our lives are shaped by what we think about money. It matters so much that it is a consistent topic in the scriptures. We see it throughout the Bible. And uh, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven. And of his 39 parables, 11 of them have to do with how we handle our money. And I think we can say, after the time we've spent over the last six weeks, that the instruction that the Bible gives us falls into two categories. Money as a blessing and money as dangerous. Um, from early on, I have mentioned Proverbs 14, 12, uh, to, to hope. Uh, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, that way leads to death. I think over the last six weeks, we've been consistently confronted uh, with the fact that the way God tells me to think about money is not the way that I think about money. Um, it shouldn't surprise me at all that my heart is drawn towards a way of thinking about money that is on that dangerous path, that broad path that leads to destruction, that is filled with people who want to accumulate as much as possible so that we can feel independent from the one who provides for us. And that's, that's really the difference do we actually believe that we can live independent from God or do we understand that we are dependent upon him for everything? Uh, I heard an illustration this week. Think of, think of humans like magnets. Prior, prior to salvation, we're the, the pole of the mag- magnet that draws everything to itself. And if you remember, what about Bob? Bill Murray, Bob Wiley? I give me, give me, give me. I need, I need, I need. He's the, he's the patient and he, he needs and he wants and he, that's us prior to salvation, after salvation, that the pole of the magnet is flipped and, and we begin to become people who we're, 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 we're repelling resources. We're sending it back out as fast as we receive it. So whether we use our money as a blessing or in a dangerous way, what we need to understand is that it has to do with how we see God. And just, just in summary, I, I just as I was thinking about this week, I, there's two things about God that I think are so important for us to understand as we understand how to handle our money and as we approach this final passage. Number one, it is so important that we see God as a giver. God is a giver. That's That's what he is. The way that seems right to man sees God as a taker. He he takes our joy by giving us commandments that limit us. He takes our resources by commanding us to give. He takes our loved ones. He takes our health. He takes our mind. He takes our independence. He takes our life, right? So that's the wrong way of seeing God, to see God as a taker. But when we come to a knowledge of the truth, we learn that God in his very being is a giver. He is the giver of abundant life. He gives joy and peace. He gives us strength. And all of that generosity of God is wrapped up 
as we saw in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, in his son, Jesus Christ. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. As we look at Christ, we see who God is, and in Christ we see that God, who has everything, was willing to give everything so that we could have everything. That's, that's God. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Anything good we have has come from God. If I don't have it, it isn't good or I don't need it. That's why debt is so wicked. Debt assumes that I need something even though God hasn't given me the resources to have it. Debt says God hasn't given me enough. And if you understand God to be anything less than a generous giver, this is the way that seems right to man. If your understanding of God is that he is anything less than a, than a generous giver, then you have not come to know him as he truly is. And that will have practical implications on how you live your life and how you view your, ministry, your money. So if you view God this morning as a taker and not a giver, I would encourage you to repent of that perspective and seek to know God as he is. Okay, so that's the first thing. God is a giver. Second thing, God is the only giver. God is the only giver. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein. Whatever we have. It comes from God. All creation belongs to him. You have never obtained anything separate from him. We are all living off of our father's money. Your hard work, no matter what you think, your hard work has never produced a dime that he didn't provide. He gives you your strength. He gives you your health. He gives you your ability to do things. God provides it all. If anyone has ever given you a gift, That money came to them from God to be given to you. God is the ultimate giver. Your house, your car, your clothes, it's all God's. And he has given it to us. In our little book that we're reading on Wednesday mornings, there's a story that uh, Randy Alcorn tells of uh, John Wesley. One day a, a distraught man rode his horse up to John Wesley and shouted, Mr. Wesley, something terrible has happened. Your house has burned to the ground. And Wesley weighed the news and calmly replied, no, the Lord's house has burned to the ground. That means I have one less thing to worry about. And it's, it's, it's a good perspective. It's a right perspective. All of us, we're always playing with God's money. We're always using God's money. And when we, as his children, use his resources to give them away, we are pleasing to him. We are pleasing to him because he is a giver and he wants us to be a giver. So therefore, every one of us can take God's resources that he's given us and we can either be a container for those resources or we can be a conduit for those resources. So we're concluding our study this morning, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. Open there. This is such a straightforward passage. There, there is not much here that is deep. To be explained, it's just right there. We can, we're going to look at the passage, and then we're going to explore the, the principles contained. Let me say this too real fast. 
This is a passage that puts our faith to the test. That's, that's what it is. Do we believe the promises of God? And uh, how should we live if we do? That's, that's what this passage is going to talk about this morning. So 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through the end of the passage. Let me read it. I love it. It's great. Any Bible writer who ever starts with the point is this. Thank you. <laughs> it's great. Helpful. Thanks, Paul. So here it is. Verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will uh, supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. But their approval of this service, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. All right, so we're going to look at the principle and then four implications. All right, so here's the principle. The point is this. Here it is. You will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. Verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly uh, will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Very simple. When you sow to God, you will reap according to the measure uh, with which you have sown. And if you sow a lot, you'll reap a lot. If you sow sparingly, you will reap Sparingly, So the world believes if you store up, if you take, if you withhold, you can build up a fortune and keep it for yourself. God says if you want to abound, then take what you're given and give it away. Right? And, and there's times when as a teacher I, I have to unpack things that, you know, this is what the Greek word means and this is what the context says. And if you look at this... And, this is not one of those times. The truth is clear. The only question is, do we believe it? Jesus said, Luke 6, 38, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. All right, now remember, it's all God's. Everything is God's. Our Father has an infinite amount of resources. And he has promised to give to us by the same measure that we give. He doesn't want us to give because he needs anything. He is not a taker. He's not wanting to take your stuff. God wants you to give so that he can give back to you by your own measure. All right. Now, Paul says there will be a bounty. There will be a blessing. What is the bounty? Is it only spiritual? Is it only registered for us in eternal bliss? Is it tangible? Is it something that we can touch? 
Is any part of it for the here and now? Or must we only give right now and wait? And I think the answer is yes to all three. And I think it's in this passage. There are spiritual blessings. There are tangible blessings. And there are blessings here on earth. So bear with me and, and follow me. And don't accuse me of being a prosperity preacher. Okay, because I want, I want to unpack these things. And I want you to understand them. Because I think when we understand them in the scripture, it'll be, it'll be clear. All right. So first, then, implications. Implication of the principle. To be a giver is to be a special object of God's love. All right, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. All right, so the first implication of the principle that you sow what you reap is, if you are a giver, you are a special object of God's love. This is a spiritual blessing, right? This is a spiritual blessing. This is is a, a characterization that, that we receive when we have the same heart that God has. Okay, now, some of you are sitting there saying, wait a second, doesn't God love all of his children? In Christ, we can't do anything that would make him love us less. Yes, sure. And, and I don't believe that God gives competing promises. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Okay, so yes, praise God. We are all children of God, and he loves us. But clearly, there is a way for us to be so near to the heart of God that he has a special affection. And I believe that what Paul is saying here is that God has a special affection for those children who are generous. So I have five children, and I love them all equally. But it makes me sad when they disobey, when they disobey God, when they disobey me or their mom. I don't stop loving them. I don't stop giving to them and providing for them. But on the other hand, and and those of you who have kids, I I think this will resonate with you. When I see them acting in a way that pleases God and and that, that is an effort to obey and to love and to give, I have a very special sense of affection for them in that moment. There are things that they can do that are very near to my heart. So what kind of person does God love? What kind of person does God have this special affection for? A cheerful giver. You may have heard, you could translate this word hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. God loves a person who is thrilled to give. And God loves a hilarious giver because God is a hilarious giver. And this promise is available to every single one of us. It is available to every Christian. There's no set amount given. This is why we talked about the tithe. Each one is to give as he or she has purposed in his heart. So this is an issue between you and your Father in heaven. You pray and you ask God what he would have you to give. And when you feel you have the answer, you give joyfully. And when you do that... God loves it. Very straightforward. Young people, God loves a a cheerful giver. Those of you who are right now at at the jumping off point and at being a teenager, going to college, as you're formulating how you're going to handle money, keep in mind, God loves a cheerful giver. Secondly, to be a giver is to be a special receptacle of God's generosity. I couldn't think of another word than receptacle. 
So a receptacle it is. To be a giver is to be a special receptacle of God's generosity. Look at verses 8 and 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Okay, this is where things are going to start to possibly get a little surprising. Okay, we're reading the scripture. So follow me here. We've already established that God is the giver. Everyone who has anything, as I understand what Paul is saying here, believer, unbeliever, rich, poor, everybody, God is the one who has given that. Okay? So, all the rich people, all the presidents, all the business tycoons, Hollywood movie stars, all of their money, it came to them from God. What's his name? Jeff Bezos, the, 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 the head of Amazon. Isn't he like the richest man in the world right now? He doesn't have a dime that wasn't given to him by God. He probably doesn't know that. And he may be bothered if he had to acknowledge that. Why did God give Bill Gates so much money? I don't know. But he did. And every person alive today has an amount of money that God has given to that person. And he is responsible to act according to wisdom with that money. So Paul says, so having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So Paul, he's carried away with the alls. Like if he had an editor, somebody would have been like, let's, let's use a different word there. The alls and everys. Everyone, this is, this is what it says. Every one of us has exactly what we need, what, exactly what God intends us to have at all times. I have what God means for me to have so that I can abound in every good work. And this, this is hard for us because we get mixed up with our needs and our desires, right? If I, if I have a right perspective on needs, if I am clothed, if I have shelter, if I have food to eat, then I need to recognize that my needs are met and I am free, according to Paul, to use what God has given me for, for good works. And here's the kicker. And this is where I think we're speaking about tangible treasure, right here. To those who use what God has given them to be generous, God will supply more and more so that they can keep being generous. There it is. That's what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 9, 10, 11. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So the one who provides your bread, that's what you need, is also willing to provide the seed so that you will be able to sow so that you will increase your harvest of righteousness. He has promised, if you love to give, to keep giving to you so that you can keep giving. Not so that you can have money to have houses and cars and yachts. This is not a harvest that you're going to spend on yourself. This is a harvest that enables you to keep being a cheerful giver. So God is a giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And if you love God and you want to give... God wants you to be able to give more and more. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be more generous in every way. Now, some of you may be thinking, 
This sounds awful close to some of those crazies on TV. You know, the anointed pen. You call right now, you get an anointed pen. It's been prayed over. You fill out your checks for us with this anointed pen, and God is going to give you a harvest. All right? Here's the thing. This is not about giving so that you can get. This is about giving so that God can give you more so that God so that you can keep giving. So God loves a cheerful giver. If you are a cheerful giver, God wants you to enjoy giving. He knows your heart. You can't fake him out. Okay, so don't think, I'm going to give, and God will think, I want to give so I can get more, and then I'll get more, and then I'll buy the yacht. All right? God knows your heart. So that, that eliminates that, right? You can't say, I'll give more so that I can keep what I get back. He knows. But our Father wants to change our hearts to love what he loves, and when we do... He has promised to give us the desires of our hearts. Secondly, wouldn't Satan love to keep us away from actual truth by making us afraid of false teaching? And I, I think Satan would love it if we miss this because we're so afraid of being like the people with the anointed pens, right? So the Bible clearly warns us about false teachers and we need to be vigilant but we should never avoid true Bible teaching because it's close to false teaching. So you see how it's easy to misapply this passage, right? You can hear it. God wants to increase your harvest. And if you stop there, you have false teaching. But you continue and it says he will increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous. That's biblical teaching. So not only... Do you continue to have your, your, your resources expanded so that you can keep giving? Don't forget, you're still storing up treasures in heaven. You could almost say you're double dipping here. When, God give, when you give, God enables you to keep giving, and he is keeping what you've given stored up for you in heaven. Jesus says in Matthew 6, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, young people, look at these things as you develop your philosophy of using money in your life. And don't let the world tell you that you are going to be defined by what you're able to accumulate. Third, to be a giver is to put God's glory on display. Verses 12 and 13. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of the contribution for them and for all others. Remember, this is a specific collection that Paul is having collected to take to the saints in Jerusalem. They're poor. So this is, all this is is helping a poor church. And Paul tells the Corinthians that by helping these poor Jerusalem saints, you're not just supplying their needs, you are bringing glory to God. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to bring glory to God. I want my life to be characterized by bringing glory to God. But how do you picture bringing glory to God? Is it a mass evangelistic meeting in a stadium filled with new converts? Is it giving your life on the mission field and dying for the sake of some lost 
tried? Is it donating enough money so that you can build a church or a seminary or a library somewhere? And I, and I, think, I think all of us want to bring glory to God, but we picture it as something for a few super Christians who can catch that lightning in a bottle. But this is simply a way of bringing glory to God that is available to every single one of us by supplying their needs, those needs of those people in in Jerusalem. Corinthians, you're not just meeting their needs, but you're causing them to overflow with thanksgiving to God. And they will glorify God because the gospel has led you to care for them. And you will have been used by God to meet their needs. Brothers and sisters, it is an absolute thrill to be used by God to meet someone's needs, especially when they've been praying that that need would be met. Someone in the body is praying because they have a need. God directs your heart to give. He takes the resources he has given you. He transfers them to the person in need. They are thankful and they bring glory to God because he used you to meet that need. I am not making this up. This isn't something that just seems nice to me. This is a process for meeting one another's needs laid out in the scripture and it results in God being glorified. Number four, to be a giver is to have friends in the body of Christ. Verse 14, while they long for you, And pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. All of us want to be needed. All of us want to belong. We all want to matter. I've been in large churches all over this country. And across this country, I can testify to you that there are people everywhere who don't feel connected. And there are back doors out of churches that are sometimes bigger than the front doors. Paul has an answer for you if you don't feel plugged into the body of Christ. Be a hilarious giver. Stop worrying about your needs. Remember, God has promised to meet those. And start searching out ways to meet the needs of others. When you give, Paul says, others will long for you and pray for you. Why? Because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Do you see? Do you see it? Do you see that apart from Christ, our hearts on set are, are set on taking what we need? And, and our hearts are set on why, why aren't my needs being met? Why don't I have what I want? In Christ, we see that our needs are met. God has exactly given us what we need, and He has done so so that we can be about the, the meeting the needs of others. So if your heart is fixated on having your needs met, you will never be happy. And you're in denial. But if your joy in life is found in meeting the needs of others, God will make sure that you have enough to continue fulfilling that desire. So one path leads to emptiness and always wanting more. The other path leads to constantly having enough to keep doing what you love to do. That's what Paul is saying. God loves a giver. Other Christians long for and pray for givers. You will always have enough to keep giving. And with every gift, you are storing up eternal treasures. What is the downside of this? As far as I can tell, there's not one. All right? So, it's the end of the semester. And we've made it all the way through the syllabus that is 2 Corinthians 8 
and 9. So the leaders of hope have a final project for you, for those who are willing. Uh, We want you to be freed up to experience this joy that Paul is speaking of. And I know it's easy to sometimes feel like you're in a box and like to leave here and be like, I hear what you're saying and I want to do that. But I don't know if I have the resources right now to do that. Okay, so God has provided richly for us here at Hope Bible Church. All right. Uh, let's, let's. Is there room back there? Welcome. No. All right. So hear me. God has provided richly for Hope Bible Church. Our needs are met. We have a place to meet. Matt and I are provided for. We've started giving to missions. We're thankful for the Lord's provision. So we're asking you to consider whatever funds you would normally give to hope corporately. So in other words, the black box in the back. We want to encourage you to pray about and give it to somebody in the body. So we want to ask you to pray. If you're married, pray with your spouse. If your kids are old enough, pray with your children. Ask the Lord who you would like, who he would like for you to give that money to. It's possible that some of you already have somebody in mind. And we want you to give the money that you would give over the next week or the next month. However you give, we want you to give that to someone within the body. All right. Maybe you know of a need. Maybe you just want to bless somebody. Maybe God is going to lead your heart to give in a way to meet a need that you don't even know about. All right. So here are a few guidelines if you want to take this up. All right. Number one, you're not allowed to give it to me. Okay. if God lays it on your heart to give to me, you need to know that that's not him speaking. All right. So for now, this is. This is my idea, all right? So I don't think it would be good for this to be my idea and and then for me to be the beneficiary, all right? So don't give it to me. My family's needs are met. We're very thankful for the way that you guys provide to us so so faithfully, okay? Number two, this is not about, uh, this is about giving, not receiving, all right? And I think this is very important, okay? So guard your heart. Don't be sad if nobody gives to you. All right. If no one gives to you, I feel like it had to be said. Uh, if no one gives to you, then God doesn't think you need that right now. All right. So don't let this be a source of discontent in your life. OK, this is a way to be blessed by blessing others. All right. Number three. If you're surprised uh, that someone gives to you. Pray about why God may have led them to give that money. So maybe you're like, that's weird. All of my needs are met. Why would this person think to give this money to me? Don't say, I don't need it. For now, assume you do. And we're learning that God doesn't intend everything you receive to be used by you. It may be that you're just another conduit to give that money to somebody else. And then number four. Let your heart dwell in this passage and let it lead you to do this more often. Okay, and and don't think I'm doing something wrong by not putting that money into that black box. You're not not giving to hope. You're still giving to hope. 
Okay? Just because you're not giving to a corporate account doesn't mean that you're not giving to the body. All right? Now, I'm not going to be checking the offering box to make sure nobody puts a check in. Okay? So uh, if you would prefer not to give right now in that way, I understand. Uh, You can always feel free to ask me about needs. And I also know there may be other considerations. And if you have reasons not to participate right now, I understand. But we want to do everything we can to free you up so that you can experience what Paul is teaching here in this passage. All right? So that's our conclusion for this week. Now, I did not forget verse 15. Let's go back to verse 15 real quick. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And I think Paul says this on purpose. So Paul does not thank the Corinthians. He thanks God because God is the giver and he is the one worthy of thanks. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't thank each other. Certainly doesn't mean that. But it's a recognition that ultimately it is God who has given in an indescribable way. He is the giver par excellence. And he has given us most clearly in Jesus Christ. And so we are just his children. We are taking on the family resemblance as we learn to live like this. So we want to remember that gift as we come together for the Lord's table right now. Uh, We give to each other because he gave to us. And we give from what he has given to us. So maybe you need to take just a few minutes this morning. Maybe you need to repent of thinking of God as a taker. Maybe you've thought that God only takes good things from me and you haven't recognized that God is actually the giver of every good thing. Take a few minutes right now and acknowledge that before him. Maybe you need to repent of being a taker. Maybe your life has been consumed by taking. You have been a receptacle of God's resources without being a conduit of God's resources. Take a minute and repent of that as well. Maybe you've been discontent or unthankful. One thing that giving does is it it really takes the, the temptation to be discontent or unthankful out of our hearts. So if you're here this morning, uh, if you've never been here before, if you're a believer, you are welcome uh, to partake in the Lord's table. Uh, Take the, the, the cup and the cracker, hold on to it. I'll come up here in a minute and we will take it together.